Um, we're gonna go ahead and get started this morning. We're looking at Genesis 16, 17, and half of 18. And before we get started, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would speak this morning, that you would speak through me, God, that you would teach us, that you would reveal yourself to us, and God, that more than anything, we would leave here knowing you better. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts by your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I have lots of points. <laughs> if you'd like to take notes, get ready, because I'll give you lots of things you can write down. Um, before we move into chapter 16, I wanna take a minute just to look back at chapter 15, verses four through six. It says, behold, the word of the Lord came to him, came to Abram, and he says to him, this man, he's talking about Eliezer, he says, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, Abram, believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. And we looked at that last week and it's such a great verse to remind us that it was nothing that Abraham did, but that he believed the Lord's promise and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then we move into chapter 16. And let's read verses one through six in chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as his wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived, and when she, Hagar, saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress, Sarai. So what happened between chapter 15 and chapter 16? We see Abraham, Abram believing the Lord, believing the promise and it being credited to him as righteousness. And then chapter 16, we see that he is listening to the voice of his wife. It says, Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And instead of listening to the promise of God, instead of holding on to the promise of God, he's influenced by the voice of his wife. We hear these same unfortunate words back in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3:17, when the Lord is reprimanding and rebuking Adam and Eve after their sin, uh, God says to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, that just gives me goosebumps, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. That same phrase is used as, as Abram listened to the voice of Sarai and as Adam listened to the voice of his wife. Instead of listening to God's commands, instead of listening to God's promises, they listened to the voice of their wives and this is where things begin to go bad. And so there's three things that I wanna point out in this situation and in these verses is that the first thing is there are actually three questions. Who are you listening to? Whose voice are you listening to? 
There are a lot of voices in this world that are gonna speak to us and that are gonna clamor for our attention. And we have to train our ears to listen to the still small voice of the Lord. We have to incline our ears to him so that we can hear him louder than the other voices in our lives. Especially when these voices are gonna contradict each other, who are you gonna listen to? And even oftentimes, these, these voices can come from those nearest and dearest to us. And here we see that in this relationship with a wife and with a spouse. Matthew Henry said, it is the policy of Satan to tempt us by our nearest and our dearest relations. So we just have to be very careful that we're listening to the voice of the Lord and holding on to his promises more than those that are nearest and dearest to us. So the second question is, what are you saying? And this is a strong caution to wives, obviously, because in both situations, it's a wife that has um, drawn a husband away from following or, or being obedient to the Lord. So what are you saying? Is what you're saying lining up with God's commands and God's promises? And this is not only for spouses, this is speaking into counsel to a good friend, to a family member, to a coworker, what are you saying? And is it aligning with truth and God's word and God's commands? And the third question is, do you believe God's promises? Because the answer to this question will influence who you listen to and what you say. Do you believe the promises of God? Here, in this situation, Sarai and Abram began to take things into their own hands instead of trusting God's promise. And don't we do the same thing? We just want to help God fulfill his promises. And that sounds even ridiculous to say that out loud, like God needs our help to fulfill his promises. But yet here we see that 10 years has passed by and they're, and they're still waiting. They've been in the land of Canaan for 10 years and Sarai still hadn't had a baby. And so that's when they began to question God's promises. And I'm gonna come back to that at the end and I wanna focus a little bit more on that at the end. Um, but here, so we see in 16 verse two that Sarai acknowledges that God is the God of her womb, that he is sovereign over her womb because she says, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. But then she acted against that, trying to control, take control of the situation. When she tells Abram to go in and to, to sleep with Hagar and perhaps I'm gonna have children through Hagar, so let me try to help God fulfill this promise. And so Abram listens to the voice of his wife and that's where things start to go bad. He does what Sarah tells him to do, and then she blames him when everything goes wrong. Um, so verse five says, Sarai says to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you because I gave you, my servant, to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me, between you and me. And I read that and if I was Abram, I would have been like, all right, like this was your idea. You're the one that came up with this plan and this scheme. And even though this was the custom of the day, it was not unusual that if a wife could not bear children, that she would have a concubine, that she could bear children through this woman. So even though it was common practice of the day, 
does not mean that it was the right thing to do. In fact, idol worship was the custom of the day also. So in this situation, Abram could have and really should have said no. Just like Adam in the garden could have and should have said no. When Eve says, here, let's try this fruit that the Lord has commanded us not to eat. At that point, he could have, both these men, Abram and Adam, could have said no. So because of this, Abram consented and then this contention between the wives ensues. Verse six, Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power, do to her as you please. And then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. So there's this tension. And again, I see here just a passivity of Abram once again, just sort of washing his hands of the situation and saying, you just do whatever you want with her, to her. And so she begins to mistreat her and treat her harshly. And so as a result, Hagar flees from her. And that's where we pick up in verse seven. It says, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for the multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Verse 13, so she called, the, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Be'er Lahai Roi. It lies between Kedesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old, when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. There's five things in this encounter that I want to point out regarding Hagar's encounter with the, with the angel of the Lord and how he responds to her. And the first thing is he pursues her. He went and found her. She's running, she's fleeing from her mistress. She's trying to hide from her mistress, uh, but she cannot hide from the presence of the Lord. So it says that he went and found her and he met her in her despair. It says the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. And most Bible commentators believe that whenever someone received a visitation from the angel of the Lord, it is the Lord himself. And so we've talked about that, this pre-incarnate visitation of the Lord himself over the last few weeks. So this is the Lord pursuing Hagar. The second thing that he does is he questioned her. He says to her, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. So have you noticed in scripture that when God asks questions, it's not because he needs the answers or doesn't know them. 
He knows her situation and he asks these questions of us and to people in scripture to allow them to examine their own hearts. She needs to examine where am I, how did I get here and where am I going? And maybe the question is, did you, did you even think about this before you just ran and, and fleed? Uh, because really for her to run away from her mistress, this probably would have meant death for her. Like she can't just run away from, from her mistress. And so God is asking the question, where are you com- coming from? Like, was this the right thing to do? And where are you going? Because reality is she's probably returning back to Egypt. She's an Egyptian slave. So is she fleeing, which was wrong to do? And then is she going back to Egypt, which would be a place of sin and probably danger for her? And so the Lord is questioning her to think about where she is and where she's going. The third thing he does is he instructed her. He addresses her as Hagar, servant of Sarai, and not as wife of Abram. And I think he does this to humble her. He tells her in verse nine, return to your mistress and submit to her. So he instructs her and he tells her to return and submit. Hagar probably thought that she received more of the favor of the Lord because she was able to conceive. Sarai was not able to conceive a son, but Hagar conceived a son. And so maybe she received, believed she received more favor of the Lord because of that. And possibly believed that Abram loved her more because she's carrying his son. And so it says that she looked on her mistress with contempt. Another translation, the NIV says that she despised her mistress. So there is an attitude and a heart problem here that the Lord is addressing. And he's telling her, you need to go back. You need to return and you need to submit to your mistress. The fourth thing that he does is he blessed her. He meets her with mercy. He tells her to obey and submit but he also promises to bless her. In verse 10, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and you will bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. Ishmael is the first person in the Bible that's given a name before he was born. In Hebrew, Ishmael means God will hear. So the Lord hears Hagar in this moment. And not only did he hear her, but he saw her. And that's the fifth thing that we see here is that the Lord saw her. Verse 13, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks at me. And again, that well, Be'er Lahai Roi'i, And yes, I practiced that. (laughs) Uh, It means well of the living one seeing me. So not only did God hear her, but he saw her. So this takes us into chapter 17. And at the the beginning of chapter 17, the Lord appears to Abram. Verse one, it says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. 
We saw at the end of chapter 16 that Abram was 86 years old. And so at the beginning of chapter 17, he's 99. So we've got 13 years have passed. Ishmael is now a teenager. So he's 13 years old. Um, and so in this, in this chapter, we see God establishing his covenant uh, with Abram. And there's several components of this covenant that I wanted to look at. Um, the first one is, there's actually four, four components that I was gonna look at. The first one is, as we've looked at the last couple of weeks, is it is a covenant of offspring. Verses four through six, it is a covenant of offspring. My covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations. Uh, so it is, a, it is a covenant of offspring and this is where we see God change Abram's name to Abraham. The second thing is that it is an everlasting covenant. Verse seven, it says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And this is just incredibly encouraging because God is faithful to keep his covenant even through gross depravity. And as I was studying this week, I had already typed up all my notes and had them ready to go. And then yesterday morning, I was reading in Psalms and there's, there's two chapters I wanna read from because I thought this just fits beautifully here and I couldn't have planned it if I tried. So I believe the Lord put this in front of me to share. It's Psalm 105, if you wanna turn there. Psalm 105 and 106, I'll read some verses from those chapters. So Psalm 105, beginning in verse six, it says, O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. So I thought, wow, this is incredible. Like I'm studying Genesis, but I'm reading in Psalms and they're talking about the exact same thing and they're, uh, it's reaffirming this everlasting covenant. Um, and then I continued reading in Psalm 106. In verse 13, it says, but they, the Israelites, they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. Verse 36 through 38, it gets worse. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. Is that, is that not awful? I read that and I was like, what? They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan and the land was polluted with blood. Verse 43 through 45 says, many times he delivered them. 
but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, this is one of those but God moments. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. This was an everlasting covenant. And praise God, it didn't depend on them and it didn't depend on their, their actions. This is incredible, amazing grace that God's faithful, God is faithful to his covenant even in this gross depravity. Like the worst of the worst that we can imagine, God is still faithful to his covenant. So it is an everlasting covenant. The third component of this covenant is that it is a covenant of land. And we looked at this last week when God establishes and confirms the covenant of land when he walks through the pieces of the cut animals and he is confirming that covenant of land. We saw that it was mentioned in that Psalm 105, verse 11, he said, I will give you the land of Canaan as a portion for your inheritance. And we see it in verse eight here of chapter 17. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. And then the fourth component of this covenant is that, it, that God gives a sign of the covenant and that is circumcision. So we see that in verses 10 through 13. He says, this is my covenant, which, I, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male through your generations, whether born of your house or bought with money, so whether they're sons of yours or you have brought them in as slaves and bought them as money, they were to be circumcised. So my covenant shall be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. So again, the emphasis, even in the covenant of land and the sign of the covenant is that it is everlasting. It is an everlasting covenant. And so as part of this covenant, we saw God change Abram's name to Abraham, but then he also changes Sarai's name in verse 15. We see God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations, kings of peoples shall come to her, from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and he laughed. And he said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who's a hundred years old? And shall Sarah who's 90 bear a child? So here God says clearly to him that Sarah, your wife will have a son. And then we see that it's foretold that this is Isaac in verse 19. God said, Again, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as the everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And then we see the Lord say it again in verse 21. I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So three times in these verses, 
God says it very clearly in verse 16, verse 19, verse 21. He says, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son. Not Hagar, not a maidservant, nobody else, but three times. Your wife, Sarah, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son and you shall name him Isaac. So three times God reiterates that promise that Sarah will be the one to bear him a son. And so we see through the, the rest of chapter 17, 22 through 27, that all the men, slave or free, are circumcised at the end of that chapter. And Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. So this takes us to chapter 18. And again, chapter 18 opens up with Abraham um, having a visitation from the Lord. And here God reaffirms his promise to Abraham. Verses one through three, it says, and the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. As he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and he bowed himself down to the earth. And he said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. So by Abraham's response, we see here that he knew that he was in the presence of the Lord. And when it says there's three men standing in front of him, I envision, oh, they're standing right here in front of me. But clearly they're in the distance as he sees them because he runs to them. He runs to them and he falls prostrate before the Lord. And that position is reserved for royalty or deity because a typical response would have been to wait at the tent door for the visitors to approach him. So this is, once again, the Lord himself and possibly two of his angels with him. And so this is called a theophany. Uh, when God appears in a human form, uh, the definition of a theophany is a manifestation of God in the Bible that is tangible to human senses. In its most restrictive sense, it is a visible appearance of God in the Old, the Old Testament period, often, but not always, in human form. So the Lord is appearing to Abraham and coming to visit he and his wife, Sarah. So he convinces them to stay. He says, let us make a meal for you. Let my wife, Sarah, and I prepare you a meal and just rest a while and enjoy this meal here. Um, by our tent. And so they do, and they prepare them a meal, and they're just sitting under the tree, reclining, and Abraham's having this conversation with the Lord. And he asks him, where is your wife, Sarah? This is verse nine. And again, this is the Lord asking. He knows where she is. He knows she's listening. She's eavesdropping. Where is your wife, Sarah? She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah, AKA she's already gone through menopause. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, am I, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year. And Sarah 
shall have a son. So the Lord is telling Abraham again, the fourth time, your wife, Sarah, will have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. For she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. This is very humorous to me (laughs) because you have the Lord talking to Abraham outside the tent, Sarah's inside the tent. The, The Lord's asking Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? She's saying, I didn't laugh from inside the tent. He's going, oh, but you did laugh. So this conversation is going on, like he wasn't directly talking to her, but he knew that she was listening inside of the tent. And so he reprimands her for laughing. And it's a reprimand because there's doubt. He says, it's anything too hard for the Lord. And maybe he's not only reprimanding Sarah, but maybe he's reprimanding Abraham. The Lord had already foretold this to Abraham. We saw three times in the last chapter. Abraham has already been told, your wife Sarah's gonna have a baby. Did he not tell his wife? Don't you think that's something important? Your wife's 90 90 years old and the Lord has said, your wife is going to bear a son. And she's hearing it for the first time. So maybe, maybe that's why the Lord is saying, why is she laughing? Did you not tell her? <laughs> and she's hearing this for the first time. And so that some commentaries will say, oh, this isn't a laughter of doubt, it's a laughter of delight. In fact, Isaac actually means laughter. The name Isaac means laughter. But to me, I think the questions that follow the laughter indicate doubt. Because Abram asked the question, shall I have a child at 100 years old and Sarah have a baby at 90? And that's what Sarah asked too, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? And that's where the Lord responds. And she responded in fear. So that indicates to me she knew her response was not the right one because she lied about it. She, re- she had fear and she lied. And the Lord says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Nothing is too hard for the Lord. So I believe this was a strategic location for the Lord to tell Abraham for the fourth time that Sarah, his wife, was gonna have a baby and have a son because he was really telling Sarah. She was listening and he knew it. And this is the first time apparently she's hearing about it. And so I believe that was a strategic location and intention of the Lord to be there at that moment to, to once again reiterate this promise of a son. So this brings us to the end of our text for this week. Next week, we're gonna look at Sodom and Gomorrah. And again, just the depravity of God's people and God's response to their wickedness. But I wanted to go back and reemphasize the question that I talked about is, do you believe God's promises? And I just, I want to take some time to acknowledge it is extremely difficult to believe the promises of God when 10 years has gone by, when 14 years has gone by. There was 14 years between Ishmael and Isaac and it is really difficult to persevere in our faith. And I didn't wanna take that lightly because it's easy to go from the end of one chapter to the next and go, oh, 13 years went by. But what in the day-to-day in our Christian walk and our Christian faith, it is hard to persevere for 13 years. And I can share that from experience. We went through some really difficult, really hard 
times of despair in our family for 10 years, and I'm telling you, it is hard to persevere in your faith. So I don't wanna take that lightly and go, wow, I can't believe Sarah would do that. Um, but we have to trust the promises of God, and that's where we have to persevere in our faith, and we have to hold on to the promises of his word. Be careful whose voice you're listening to, especially in those times. We have to listen carefully to the voice of the Lord. Hebrews 10:23 says, let us hold fast, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, because he who promised is faithful. We can hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, not because we're strong. We can hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess because he's faithful. Even in our grossest sin and depravity, that God is faithful. His character does not change with our circumstances and he will remain faithful to his promises in our lives. Uh, let me pray for us. Father, we just praise you that you are faithful, God, even when we are not. We thank you, God, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that your steadfast love endures forever. Father, forgive us when we take matters into our own hands. Forgive us when we doubt. Forgive us, Father, when we question. Help us, Lord, to build our lives on the solid rock of Christ, on the solid rock of your word, God, that when the storms come, that we would have a firm foundation of building our life upon your word, upon your promises that never fade, that never change. God, great is your faithfulness unto us and we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.